2: whether uncertainty is rising or falling, there's a lot of it. And very few of us have been taught the tools to deal with that uncertainty. And when we don't have tools, we tend to fall into bad patterns. But when we have tools, we can we can face it with greater courage and resilience.
3: Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. So, Last year, nearly 50 million Americans quit their jobs. An unprecedented exodus. They left in search of something. Better pay, better hours, more interesting work, or maybe just more respect. But what has happened since? Did they get what they wanted? As our listener this week learned the hard way, taking a new job is always a
4: gamble. I'm Trish. I have been working in the staffing and recruiting world for about five years now. Trish isn't her real name, but she asked us if she could use a pseudonym because she's in
3: kind of a tricky situation now, as you'll hear. But it wasn't always that way. At her first real job out of college, Trish had an awesome manager who was super supportive. In her original email to us, she actually described that experience as
4: bliss. The culture, of my coworkers, like that was great. I had a sense of purpose. I was getting my annual promotions and raises and ch- just like checking all those boxes. But then came the pandemic and all the boxes blew up,
3: along with her amazing boss, Trish, got laid off. And even though she actually got rehired again three months later, it's really hard to get over the sting of being let go. And her old boss never returned. So, Trish made her first bet, a modest one, quitting her job for another job in the same industry. So I took that leap,
4: and unfortunately, it just wasn't a great fit for me. I did not love the company culture. I didn't really love where I ended up. That's when Trish made an even bigger bet. About six months ago, I decided to do about a a half-career pivot um, and take up instructing Pilates, um, something I was really passionate about. I had lost about a week of sleep over it, just deciding if it was a good idea to do.
3: It was a bold move, or it was supposed to be, but when Trish went to her boss to quit her corporate job, they talked her into staying on part-time. So now she's opening the Pilates gym at 5 a.m. and then going to her old recruiting job. So she's wearing herself thin and is more uncertain than ever. She's basically frozen unsure what to do next.
4: Do I just go back? Do I close up shop and say, okay, you know, I made a mistake, let me go back to this, you know, corporate world? Or do I keep trying to pursue my dreams right now? Like I said, I just feel so stuck in the middle of being pulled towards my old life and not Mm -hmm. being sure about the next steps to take to do something I really do want to do that feels better, more fulfilling. Right now, I just feel tired, <laughs> exhausted. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think, look, I think you're speaking for many millions of people. Like how many people either had their life turned upside down or uh, turned it upside down because of opportunities that arose and now are starting to ask themselves, did I do the right thing? What do I do next?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So you've been, you've been actively looking around, right, for new jobs, how, how is that going?
4: Yes. So um, I actually recently went on a very long job interview process. It took eight weeks. I got down to uh, one other person. It was just us two left in the pool and the other person was selected for the job. And I think after that, I was just like, you like, you've got me. (laughs) I just, I fully surrendered. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted.
3: So to help Trish out, we brought on two experts in the unknown, Nathan and Susanna Furr, who are partners in life and business. Nathan's a professor at INSEAD, an international business school based in France.
2: I did my PhD at Stanford after working in industry. I study questions around innovation and technology change related to this upside of uncertainty is really how do individuals navigate the unknown. And
1: Susanna is a longtime entrepreneur, and together they wrote the book, The Upside of Uncertainty. I tend to be a real optimist just by nature, but getting the opportunity to interview people and stuff has just really opened my eyes to how uncertainty really is the portal to possibility.
3: On today's show, we're gonna help Trish find her own portal of possibility and talk about how all of us can find our footing in uncertain times.
0: Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
5: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design.
3: So when we left off, Trish was explaining that she's on the verge of burnout and doesn't know what to do next. What's her first move? Nathan and Susanna suggest taking a step back to take stock of what matters most.
2: If you imagined your life as a bookshelf uh, upon which there are many, many different volumes, and each volume is kind of a different version of your life, You know, one volume is where you just go back uh, full-time into recruiting. Another volume is where you go full-time into, you know, teaching Pilates. What is the the volume that kind of makes you most excited? What is the future life that would be really exciting for you?
4: It's a great question. (laughs) I always felt my best when I had a manager or supervisor who was kind of there cheering me on, who had faith in me, who was there if I needed them. Right now, I don't really have that. And that's something that I really do miss. And what I'm learning maybe is that it's not so much really what I'm doing. It's that like support system, that camaraderie that I really like cherished and don't have much of in either of my jobs currently.
3: Hmm. I'm curious, either Nathan or Susanna, if you've ever been in a similar spot.
2: Oh, yeah. We actually met in university and... Um, Fell in love, got married later. You know, had some. You know, uh, Susanna was pregnant with our first, and you know, I had gone on. I thought I'm going to go be an English professor because I loved reading and literature. But the job of an English professor is more about theory, and the job opportunities were very poor. It was very poor paying, and I was starting to get really frantic because you know Susanna's pregnant, and you know I'm an English major. Who's going to hire an English major? And and I remember I went to the career counseling center. I got an appointment with an older gentleman. He was probably a couple of years away from retirement. So he's seen a lot of students at this point. And, and I kind of pour out my heart and soul to him. And he's just leaning back in his chair, twirling his pen, you know, really giving that body language is pretty disinterested. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit offended because I'm like, hey, like, I even feel really stressed and really anxious. And, and he's just really relaxing. And then he just stops me and he says, I don't want this to sound rude, but I have socks in my drawer that are older than you are. (laughs) And I was really like, whoa. And then he said, what I'm trying to tell you is that life is long and it takes time to figure things out. And, and I, it kind of like took off some of that pressure that I was feeling to figure it out right then.
3: So he was not actually comparing you to a sock, although it felt that way, maybe. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's just so insensitive, you know, but but the thing is from where I sit now, he was so right. Mm. I was like so urgent to figure it out. And the thing about uncertainty that's challenging, one of the things is it makes us feel anxious. And so we want to grab on to something certain. And sometimes we call this premature certainty. And so it takes great courage to kind of sit on the edge of that, that frontier and, and say, I, I'm waiting to figure out what the right thing is for me.
3: So here's our first tip. Resist the urge to grab onto premature certainty. See if you can build up more of a tolerance for not knowing so that you can give yourself enough time and space to make a better choice.
1: What you're remembering so beautifully about those three years was, you kind of were on this crescendo of like feeling more and more capable and having these mentors and seeing how your performance was improving and you were learning and growing. But I I really do believe that you don't have to go back to the thing you know and that you're familiar with to get there again. And actually, one of the entrepreneurs we talk about in the book, Melinda Thomas, she basically warns people of staying in the wrong job too long. So what I would say is first, cool that you didn't stay too long in that first thing without starting to do these trials in different venues. But I would say if you go back, you could still fall prey to this thing that she calls grumpy math. And what she said is when people stay in a job that they're feeling burnt out with or not no longer inspired or no longer challenged, and they start looking for something on the side, often it can be so discouraging to, and they're not finding anything. And slowly their performance just starts kind of creeping down at the job that they're at. Mm. And her point was, it's actually better. Get out while you are still feeling confident. But here you're kind of in the reverse situation where you're starting to feel like, Universe, I'm doing what I believe in. I'm going after my passions, and it's not feeling right yet.
3: To help find a way out of this fog of frustration, we're going to unpack what Nathan and Susanna call their first aid kit
1: for navigating uncertainty. Step one is reframing. So first seeing uncertainty as just one side of the coin and possibility is waiting in the wings. We really want people to just get to that place where they can see that they're connected. Nothing we love about our lives came without some uncertainty first.
3: And so you're saying reframe uncertainty As possibility? Do I have that right?
2: Well, as the portal to possibility. Uh, Well, maybe to kind of dig in a little bit deeper to this. This first category of reframing is actually based on this uh, very fundamental, uh, well-established psychological mechanism, which is uh, the way we describe something or frame it shapes how we decide, think, and act. And and so that's very important the research that won the Nobel Prize was Kahneman and Tversky's experiment where they gave people two treatments for a disease one with a 5% chance of failure and the other with a 95% chance of success and even though those are statistically identical treatments we all vastly prefer the 95% chance of success why because we are wired to be gain seeking and loss averse. So we're afraid of loss. And the challenge of uncertainty, and one of the reasons it's so hard, is it tends to register as a loss or a potential loss for us. And the so when we talk about reframing, the basic tool, is, the basic mechanism is how do we take the uncertainty in our lives and reframe it from seeing the, uh, the, the anxiety, loss-producing element to framing what is the inevitable other side of that, which is possibility.
3: So how do you actually put this into practice? Well, one of the tools you can try is called regret minimization.
2: And we did do an interview with a rather famous innovator, uh, Jeff Bezos, back in the day when he was a, maybe a little bit humbler, a little more likable character. And uh, But he talked about, he's a good illustration of this principle, regret minimization. He talked about, the decision to leave his job and start Amazon.com back in the days when the internet was not a big thing, when it wasn't obvious it would be successful. Bezos has this idea, oh, we could use it to sell books. And he goes and he tells his boss about this idea. And his boss is pretty skeptical. I mean, it could be a good idea, but it's probably a better idea for somebody who doesn't already have a really good job. So why don't you think about it for a while? And and Jeff was talking, telling us about how he wrestled with, how do I make that kind of decision? And and he came up with what he called a regret minimization framework, which is this. Project yourself out to age 80 and ask yourself, what will I regret when I'm age 80? And for him, it was very clear. I will not regret trying this thing called the internet, trying to do this idea and failing. But the one thing I will regret is never having tried.
3: I think what you're trying to do, if I understand it, is get some distance from from where we're at right now. And yeah. one way to do that is to think about when you're 80 years old, Trish, what, looking back on this uncertain phase of life, what might you regret, do you think? And what wouldn't you regret?
4: So, I mean, the main reason I did this and decided to make this big decision is because I didn't want to regret when I'm older not finding out what this would be like not kind of Mm -hmm. scratching that itch per se so
3: you kind of had that same impulse that you didn't want to live with that regret and just do the safe thing
4: exactly so that's definitely something that regret minimization is definitely that's something that like went through my head in my decision making process but it's funny because like you know occasionally (laughs) when i'm very tired very burnt out there's weeks that are worse than others that you know i'll give my boyfriend a call like later on in the day and I'm just crying and I'm like, I, you know, did I make a terrible decision? Like, I am so tired. I feel so burnt out. Like, what have I, I always say, what have I done? But Mm. knowing that at least like you said, in 80 years or whenever down the line that at least I know. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It reminds me of, I think in, in the book, Nathan and Susanna, you write about how our uncertainty barometer varies depending on how we're doing depending on our mm-hmm. state of mind if we're if we're exhausted like Trish is if we're getting up at 4 a.m. every day and doing two jobs it's just very hard to imagine future uncertainty <laughs> am i right about
1: that mm-hmm. yeah you're in that place of like i can't hold on much longer yes. i can't take this uncertainty yes and and one of the main things we learned is even though people who are really flashy and good at uncertainty and say things like i eat uncertainty for breakfast i love it behind the scenes they are such masters of creating what we call uncertainty balancers, and they, they add things in. So like when I heard you talking about I really miss a mentor, it's like a mentor can be an uncertainty balancer. So it could be a life coach or someone or, or your boyfriend, but someone who you have that you can really talk to. Here's our next tip.
3: It's a little easier to live with uncertainty in one part of your life if you can offset it in other parts. Maybe by finding a coach or a mentor to give you more support, which Trish now realizes she needs. Or maybe by putting other things in your life on automatic so you don't have to make so many decisions, even little ones. It
1: can be like routinizing the things. Mm what you eat, just so that you don't have to make so many decisions every day. So mm-hmm. it can be basic rituals of giving yourself comforts and things. But do you feel like you have enough of that right now?
4: That's funny you asked that because I, I literally eat the same thing every single day. Um, I have the same <laughs> bedtime routine. I go on the same walk on the same course every day. Like I try to actually keep a lot of the same in my life because I, I mean, I hadn't even realized it until you mentioned it but like I guess it I really was like a subconscious way of keeping myself to feel comfortable on at least some level during the day (laughs) yeah
1: because that is a way to bring that like you said that thermometer of like way too much uncertainty And, and another way to bring down the temperature is just are there things in your life that you could just say you know what I need to stop this for a while like extra volunteering or maybe even like a lunch date even if it's once a month with a friend who brings you down, like really turning off and turning down the stuff that's dragging your spirit down, you know, and your ability to to remain hopeful. Mm-hmm.
3: So you're saying like we have to look holistically at our whole life and, and say we can only manage so much uncertainty, right? So are there ways we can reduce the ratio of uncertainty mm-hmm. um, easily, right, and let some of those things go? And I, and I like also, Susanna, how you mentioned you can add some things in uh like a mentor or a life coach have you thought about getting a coach or do you have someone like that that uh could play that role at all trish
4: um so i think that's a great question and it's definitely something that like my the light bulb kind of went off and you mentioned it earlier so i mean like i mentioned in my original note i don't necessarily love to use my loved ones um as my therapist life coach whatever i know that they I'm sure would say that they'd be happy to, but I just there's something that feels very uncomfortable within me. That you know, I I'd like it to be somebody removed from my life, kind mm. of. Yeah, yeah, it's nice
3: if it's nice to be paying someone to listen to you once in a while.
4: Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, like I, I would just feel more comfortable if it were that that situation. So, I actually really like that idea. Maybe I think that's something that I could definitely walk away and look into more. While Trish looks into life coaches,
3: we can move on to our next step, placing your bet. Finally, you're going to make a move. But don't bet the farm, not just yet.
2: There are ways to take action when you're facing uncertainty that increase the probability of a good outcome. And, And one of the most basic, but there's some really good empirical research around it, is this idea of breaking down something big into small steps or experiments. You know, it feels a little bit like you feel this pressure right now. Like, I've got to figure out my one right thing right now and kind of like commit everything to it. And I'm in the middle of the two and I don't know which one it is. Would it help relieve some of the pressure to say, you know, I can do a series of experiments. So for example, I could stop the pilates teaching and go take a job you know a different job and see how i like that knowing that i actually may want to step back out and do the pilates again or maybe i need to do an experimental period where i do the pilates full time and i stop doing the staffing for 6 months and see how that feels to feel not you know the exhaustion of kind of doing both jobs at the same time
4: i love this conversation i think it's definitely something i've been thinking about recently i was offered this like full-time position at the Pilates studio and I thought well you know you can't do full-time and then another part-time like you're, you're really gonna you feel it the burnout then so I've just been thinking well what if I kind of put down the staffing for a little bit and just saw what it was like um on the other side but there's this like weird little voice inside of me and the that is like well you know if you let go of this title you're never gonna get it again. It's gonna be really difficult mm. for you to get another job again. In case it doesn't work out, there's mm. all of those voices, um, right, and I know right. it's a lot. It's a big control thing. It's a it's a title I'm really proud of, and I, it yeah, it might be a little painful to put it down, but at the end of the day, like, it's not something I even want to do really. So I don't know why it's so <laughs> right. painful. Um, I think well, it's just I think all they the call work. that loss aversion bias,
3: and there's some. It sounds like you know identity and ego attached to the oh, title. Yeah. It, totally, yeah. Yeah,
4: it's funny. I know it's all there and like I I can have this conversation back and forth with myself all day, (laughs) but I'm like, all right, you got to put it down. And for some reason, there's just that like 5% of me that's that will not let go of it.
3: Um, Yeah. 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 Look for two way doors as a way to manage the risk can make experimentation more manageable. Because let's face it, you want to do something that you like, but it's also your livelihood. You need to experiment in a way that mitigates risk. Is there a way in which you can experiment, even if, you know, you're working two jobs and you're just barely getting by? And how do you account for the fact that, you know, not everybody has that ability to take those, even the small risks, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, You know, I want to be careful with this because we have to acknowledge there are many people who face some really hard situations. And, you know, sometimes I take hope. So I've seen some of the experiments, for example, uh, with universal basic income, and, and one of the things I found is that when they gave people a little bit of supplemental income, you know, the critics were like, oh, they're just going to waste it on whatever frivolous those things, and, and actually used it to, like, take a day off of work and go get a better job, you know? So, like, one of the things when we talk about uncertainty and possibility we should be asking is, not just how do we create possibility for ourselves, but how do we create possibility for other people? Hmm. And and I think that's really, really important. Hmm. So I want to acknowledge that there are injustices that we need to be paying attention to. And so we should be asking, how do we create opportunity and possibility for everybody?
3: Hmm. Like, it's like it's easier to live with uncertainty, right? And to em- embrace the possibility if you have some other yeah. way to get health insurance other than your job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn what to do if your next bet doesn't pay off either. What then?
0: Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
3: We're back with Trish, who's trying to figure out her next big career bet, and Nathan and Susanna Furr, who are at the poker table, sitting next to her. Well, I wonder if we could get back to this self-doubt and insecurity that you talked about, because I feel like that has got to be such a common challenge uh, for people living with uncertainty, and I wonder... If Nathan or Susanna, can you speak at all to, I think you talk in the book about doubting your (laughs) self-doubt. How does that
2: work? One of the things we discovered is that almost everybody has self-doubt. In fact, 70% of people feel the imposter syndrome, like I must be an imposter. And especially when you're doing new things, you feel uncertainty. And, you know, Richard Feynman, he, he was like a Nobel Prize winning physicist. And I think his story is just illustrative because, because of how he got through it. So he had been, you know, at Los Alamos during the atomic weapons race, burning himself out. His, the love of his life passed away from tuberculosis during that period. And so he emerges completely exhausted, gets a job at a really nice university, Cornell, but he's so burnt out he can't do any work. He's he's He can't do any research and he feels really bad about himself. He, when he's supposed to be doing research, instead he's going to the library and reading, you know, a, a thousand and one nights, you know, and he starts getting these job offers and the job offers make him feel worse because he's like, they don't know that I'm I'm burnt out. I'm no good. And, and finally, he gets an offer from the Princeton Institute of Energy where Einstein works. And he's like, it was so absurd because I was so bad and they didn't know that I realized in an instant, I have no obligation to live up to what other people think I should be. Hmm. I'm going to quit trying to do what I'm supposed to do, which is research. And I'm going to do what I'm curious about. Only one week later, he was sitting in the dining hall. And some student was fooling around, threw a plate up in the air, and the plate is spinning and and wobbling, and there's a little emblem at the center, and the emblem's spinning at a different rate than the plate is wobbling as it's up in the air. And he says, that's strange. I wonder if I could calculate the ratio of spin to wobble. Okay, sure, only a physicist wants to do this, but he goes off and he starts calculating it, and he figures out it's a ratio of two to one. And he runs over to his department chair, Hans Betta, who, by the way, is a Nobel Prize winner, so very intimidating, tells his department chair about it. And his department chair is totally like just in disbelief, like, Feynman, who cares? Why would you do that? And Feynman's like, you're right. Who cares? But I think it's interesting. And he said, but you know what the funny thing was? As I started playing around with those equations, it led to another set of equations and another set of equations. And you know that work for which I won the Nobel Prize on the wobble of electrons in orbit? It all started with the spinning plate. And and for me, that story gives me great comfort because one, he had huge self-doubt and he was burnt out. But the way out of it was to say, how do I follow my curiosity even if other people don't think it's important, and so back to this experiment, uh, you know, you could, you, I would approach your employer and 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 just really nicely say how much you value the work and how great it is, and how you want to scratch this itch and you'd love to just you know take a short sabbatical and and just explore it a little deeper and or if your curiosity is going the other direction, go the other direction, but follow that thread of curiosity like a Feynman. Mm-hmm.
3: So you're saying that in a way, curiosity and just giving yourself permission to do what is really interesting to you is a way to kind of push
1: through that doubt? Well, we love how Elizabeth Gilbert writes about curiosity as being the more democratic version of passion because sometimes our passions are burning so hot. We can burn out, Mm -hmm. actually, from our passions because we push so hard. But just get all your options out there. Like being bold about saying, I really am loving what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. But what I found is it's not a full, you know, um, exploration yet because I'm too torn between, you know, I'm exhausted. Like I think in our world, we need to be more human with each other and admit Mm -hmm. this isn't working. I'm too tired. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I I would just say also in that two-way door conversation, the reason why I told the story about the socks is what that counselor is trying to tell me is life is a big, long series of experiments. So even if your employer said no, your life is still a two-way door. Mm-hmm. You can still go do Pilates for two years and you can come Find back. someone else. You can come back and given how well you've done and your performance, you will be valuable. You've already come, overcome the first hurdle of getting the first job. Mm-hmm. You've got three years of experience under your belt. You've got a two-way door already.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine following your curiosity? Which way would that lead you?
4: If I could imagine following it all the way, I feel like I only followed it halfway this first time. Yeah. If I could take it all the way, um, I'd like to explore what life feels like outside of my laptop situation, outside of my house, you know, interacting with other people, um, feeling a bit more free. And I think that kind yeah. of hap- that happens at the studio. Um, Yeah.
3: So it sounds like you're kind of leaning towards, should you maybe go mm -hmm. all in on that in in a way that's more sustainable so you can really commit to it? Yes. Now, as you might remember, Trish is currently doing not one but two jobs. And she had apologized in advance because the only time she had to talk to us was during her lunch break. Do you have any last questions? I know you got to run and I'm sorry to, to rush us here.
4: I mean, you're correct. I wish I could stay for another half hour unfortunately, I do have to go. But I just want to thank you all so much for this. This was super helpful. And I'm so appreciative.
1: Oh, I'm just so grateful, like honored to be able to walk through this with you. And, you know, I I would love to send you the chapter of our book about living as if Mm. the the life you dream of were already there because it starts putting you into this mindset of like, wait a minute, do I even know exactly what that dream would be? Yes, that would be wonderful. And I'm so
4: sorry to cut you off. I have to go lead a meeting right now. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody.
3: Is there any last thing that you wanted to share about, you know, thinking about her, you know, kind of yo-yoing back and forth between these different jobs and trying to figure it out and feeling burnt out and not having the energy to, you know, muster the confidence to keep going through rounds of interviews? Anything else you wanted to say to her since she will eventually hear this?
1: You know, my biggest fear was just how she felt like when she said, I cry, I cry sometimes and think, did I make such a big mistake? Mm. Because from where I sit, her willingness to experiment, her willingness to pivot and to seek more meaning and to follow that thread inside of her that's saying, oh, I want more is so beautiful. And what, again, I really believe that is where you get to the possibility. She's doing what she needs to do to get to the possibility. And she's just in that really miserable time where it's not clear what's going to happen.
2: I would add to that, that she might be uh, actually kind of illustrative of many of us, which is you take a half step into the unknown and then you get scared Mm -hmm. and then you don't go all the way in. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's kind of stuck in that space a little bit Mm -hmm. in terms of, and that's why I was trying to reframe things. I said, you know, if you viewed your life as an experiment, it would be okay if you went and did Pilates full time for six months, one year, two years. I am so sure you could come back and get a job Right. and Pick up where you left off.
1: Well, and I was even thinking about Trish with her four AM wake up for like no one does Pilates here before nine AM because <laughs> French people have a quality of life. They yeah. they're like, What? I'm not gonna right. do that. What are you Who crazy? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: I yeah, I like this idea of just Running the full experiment, like you said, and, and I guess I would just add to that that before she does that, maybe take two weeks off, and if like, she possibly can, mm. or even a week, yeah. and you know maybe go to France where people do Pilates at nine in the morning, yeah. <laughs> like civilized people. Us. Thank you to Trish for spending her lunch break with us. We did hear back from her and she's already reached out to a life coach, which is great news. We wish you luck, Trish, and hope you'll keep in touch. And a big thank you to Nathan and Susanna for all their advice and examples. Their book, The Upside of Uncertainty, is full of about 40 other tools we didn't even get a chance to mention. What about the rest of you? Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646- 495-4001. 495-4001. And we'd love to have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, you know what to do. Give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produce the show. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. And Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ridley. Thanks for listening.